This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the Hill Country Authors Podcast. Not only is the Texas Hill Country the most beautiful place in Texas, but it also has some of the best writers in Texas. On this podcast series, I'm going to explore writers in literally all genres of writing, both fiction and nonfiction. I hope you'll join me in this journey. Today I visit with Cowgirl Peg on her latest book, Cruise on Cruiser. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, back for another episode of the Hill Country Authors Podcast. I'm thrilled today to have Peggy Sundberg with us, a fellow children's book author, as I published my first one in December, so I can now say oh, that. Oh, wow. Peggy, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. You're welcome. Could you lean a little closer to the mic? Sure. Could you tell us where you grew up, Peggy? Born and raised in Alvin, Texas. It's a small town between, used to be a small town, between Galveston and Houston. And my maternal grandparents or grandfather's family was amongst the founding families there. So it goes back quite a ways. But when NASA started opening up in the 60s, my father moved his office over to Clear Lakes. I actually ended up graduating from Friendswood, Texas. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about your pre-author professional background? <laughs> I was a stay-at-home mom after I got married for the first time. My kids got into junior high, and then I started working in a library because I've always loved books and I love to write. So it was a good fit. And it was in a very, in Rochester, Minnesota, where we were employed with IBM. And so it was a great place to to put my own feet into the professional world. And what brought you to the Hill Country? My grandfather's family had a ranch out here by Comfort. That I only came to a few times as a kid, but I was one of four girls. And I was the only one who was really into the outdoors. And my grandfather, my mother's father, was very into the outdoors also. And so he, I spent more time with him than... I did with my sisters, I think. So. But he's the one who helped me with my horse all the time. He took me fishing. We did all kinds of stuff. But he owned the ranch out here with his sister where they would come out to go hunting. And I only got to come out here, I can only remember three or four times as a kid, but I fell in love with hills because I was growing up where it was flatter than flat. And I would watch, of course, this was when we watched all the old Westerns and everybody was always hiding in hills. And to a kid living between Houston and Galveston, you have really no idea what hills are until you see one. And I, I know the first time I came out here, I spent the whole day running up and down this big hill behind the cabin that they had. And when I moved out here 10 years ago, I went to Bernie and looked it all up and found, because it's been sold, but it's still intact, believe it or not. It was 250 acres, I think. And I managed to drive out there and find it and see the little cabin, which was very nostalgic. Oh, it's very cool. <laughs> so what led you into a life of writing? By the time I was, and I tell this to kids in schools because I speak in schools all over the country. I tell them that when I was in the fourth grade, I distinctly remember realizing how much I liked to write and that my teacher told me I seemed to have quite a talent for it. And so as I went through school, the teacher spent more time coaching me, helping me with that. And uh, it just developed into something. I got to where I was sometimes better expressing myself in writing than I was verbally. So it's just... It's just something I like to do and seem to have a little bit of a talent for it. 
I've read that you won a UIL award for, for writing. Can you tell us about that? I won the Texas State Championship. At that point, I had moved from Alvin to the Friendswood School. And at that time, Friendswood was a very, very class B little school. With, I think there were 40 kids in my graduating class. And of course, now it's huge because of NASA and the influence there. But at that point, it was a very small school. My journalism teacher coached me and coached me and coached me. And I have to give her full credit because she really coached me well. <laughs> and I went through the, of course, the district, the regional and up and went to state and I won the state finals. There were, at that time, there were five different categories that you competed in and I won all five of them and ended up winning high point above all of the big schools, which was at that point, I didn't realize it was as big a deal as everybody else seemed to think it was. But now I realize it was kind of a big deal. And my big plaque has been in, put in the Friendswood Town Museum, which makes me feel a little bit ancient when you go into a museum. But but I've seen it. I visited it. It's, it's still there. Uh, you mentioned your love of horses and riding with your grandfather. Where did the love of horses come from besides I, the Westerns you watched on television? My grandmother... We had, there was a little pony ride and my grandmother took me, if I helped wash dishes, I got to go to the pony ride. And I had, this was when I was four or five years old and I had my favorite pony that I always picked out. And I just, I love, it was just an instinctual thing. I just fell in love with the horses. I had a connection and I started picking my friends by who had a horse <laughs> and kept begging my parents. Of course, we lived in a cow town. So what was a cow town? So my parents, especially my dad, was very pro doing this. And he bought me a yearling colt when I was, I think, about six or seven years old. And he and I, I mean, we had friends who raised horses, but we, he was from Michigan. He, he had, my mom met him at the POW camp when he was working there as a soldier during World War II, but in Alvin. But so he was not a cowboy, but kind of turned into one. And, and, we trained that horse, and he turned into a great horse. I, I grew up on that horse. I also read that you had a rescue horse. I've had many. <laughs> okay, well, tell us about that, because I'm familiar with rescue dogs, but I'm not well, familiar with I've rescue one horses. Of those now too. I, um, I've always had, I kept up with the horse thing all the way through. I think there was a gap when my kids were very little, and then after that, I got back into it again, because I missed it. And I've always had at least a couple, but my dream was to rescue horses just especially old ones that nobody wanted anymore and give them a place to eat grass and be happy for the rest of their lives. And so the opportunity never represented itself until, until I hit 50, actually. And my lifestyle changed because I was all of a sudden, after having been married, I wasn't married anymore. And my job was such that I could work from home with the computer come thing coming along. So I got onto a small ranch in Western Colorado and built it up myself. I lived in the horse trailer for a while. And then I had a barn that I lived in when it got down to 20 below zero a couple of times, which wasn't easy, but got through it and it toughened to me. <laughs> but that's where I started worked with a group out of Denver that rescues horses and they would foster, I foster homes. Some, at one point I had four of my own and five fosters living there. Did you live on the Western Range? It was West. No, it was West of Colorado Springs, okay, on the but on the eastern side of the divide. All right. So, so um, tell us about your first book. First book, that was my other lifelong dream, and I consider myself extremely fortunate to have both of these come true. First was the horse rescue thing, 
And I've always wanted to write children's books, but I wanted to write ones that were really had some kind of a meaning because when I was growing up, there were a lot of books that you read that made an impact on you, especially like the, the little boy cried wolf and things like that, that you learned something from it. And when my kids were growing up, there were so many that were cute and silly, but you kind of go, where's the message? So I was determined if I did it, it was going to have messages. And I had tried writing several stories, but never really thought it was good enough. But I rescued a little horse. They called and asked if I'd take him in. And when we heard his story, when I heard his story, this light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, my gosh, the story that I've always wanted to write is outside eating hay in my corral. And so I got busy and I wrote it. It's short. I already knew the story. So maybe an hour to do the first draft. But as I read it, I was like, I think I really have a book worth publishing. Well, I was working from home for a corporate vice president and he decided to take early retirement. And so, and I'm out there on this 40 acre property in the mountains by myself with these animals and not near a town where I was going to get another job. And so I thought, well, I guess this is my time to, to pursue this dream of writing books because I got the story sitting here. And so I researched getting a publisher versus self-publishing. I really, my gut said that I had written something that was going to work and that was good. And that was, was just after the Columbine shooting. And this book is very much about friendship and tolerance of differences in a very happy way. It's just the story of a little horse that had been picked on by other horses. And, and as the story progresses, even has another message about that can be interpreted as a child grows into a drug awareness message. So it was a perfect story for things, the way things were going in the schools at that time. And I knew that I had a market there if I could tap it. So I did it myself. I took some classes on public, on publication and, and went for it. And of course, I knew it was going to be expensive. And I got a severance check that was exactly what I needed. So I felt like things were falling into place for some reason to, to go after this. So I did. And I knew... I had right down the road from me, I needed an illustrator. I wanted somebody who knew horses, that knew the body language, the eyes and the ears, and would get it right. I didn't want cartoons. And there's a lady named Pat Wiles who lived about three or four miles away. And I'd seen a, a couple of her, I met her a couple of times, I'd seen some of her work, contacted her. And so now she and I have partnered on eight books. <laughs> and she does an incredible job, incredible job, watercolor artist. But the, everybody comments on the, on the artwork being so amazingly, and and then she captures the the emotions of a horse perfectly. Could you say a few words about the emotions of horses, and maybe compare that to emotions of dogs, so that people sure. can understand what you see and feel when you talk to a horse. When I'm with a horse, the first thing that I like about why I like being with a horse and why I like mucking manure is. It's, it's something that takes the world away. When you're with a horse, the horse is a big animal. And I mean, I'm not scared of them at all. And I know how to handle them, how to be around them. But I always tell people, if you're not used to them, you don't want to just walk in with a horse that you don't know. Because there's when you're around them, you learn to read their body language. And, and just like with a dog, you can read their ears. You can read if how their neck, is their neck relaxed? Is their body relaxed? If their ears all of a sudden go back, something is irritating them. You want to make sure that there's just different things that you can watch for to see exactly what the horse's emotion is at that time. If it's scared, if it's nervous, if it's relaxed, they have a really soft eye when they get relaxed. So there's lots of little tales, things you can watch for. And it's the same with dogs. Uh, 
you can you can read a dog by watching his eyes and, and ears, same body language, same type of thing. So cowgirl peg. <laughs> uh, for those who are listening to this podcast, we just had a smile about the size of the state of Texas. <laughs> so I think we've struck gold here. Yeah. What was or perhaps even is the inspiration for cowgirl peg? It was nothing planned. <laughs> when I wrote the first book, Lonesome the Little Horse, when I got to the page where he came to live with me, because it is the true story of this little horse and how he got rescued and ended up with a new best friend, which is a goat. But he, um, when I wrote it, I got to that page and I thought, okay, what am I going to call myself? Well, my name is Peggy and people call me Peg. And I thought, been a cowgirl, let's call myself cowgirl Peg. I was expecting kids to figure out that the horse was real, but instead they figured out I was real. So when I started, I just started visiting a few schools where teachers knew me and then they liked the book and they liked my presentation and they told other schools and it just, it's just really snowballed quickly in the first year, which was great. But I would get to towns and they would have a sign up, welcome cowgirl peg. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> and, you know, I would go in a restaurant that evening and a kid one time just started screaming, oh my, I didn't know cowgirl peg was going to be eating here. So it's been, it's been amazing. There's no other word. Um, it's just, you can't imagine what, what the feeling is, you know, that you're having that impact on kids and it has not changed my personality. I'm still who I am, but I just, I guess it's my alter ego thing, <laughs> but I tend to forget that I'm cowgirl peg when I'm at home or just being me. And then somebody will say, Hey, aren't you cowgirl peg? And I'll go, Oh yes, <laughs> that is me. So it's, but it's, it has been just amazing. There's no other word for it. What are some of Cowgirl Peg's favorite adventures? I've had a lot. I wrote one book, came out, one that came out in 2018, actually. My father kept telling me I should write a book about all my adventures. And I said, well, my life is not that exciting. Or he kept saying, write about your life. I said, but there are some crazy adventures because I've always been an adventurous person. But I'm a very positive Pollyanna person. I always see the good in people. I see the good in things. And so when something goes wrong and things do go wrong, I always just tell myself, learn a lesson, turn it into a positive, learn lessons so you try not to do it again. And so that's what this book is. There was seven adventures that started off great and didn't go quite right. And uh, so at the end of the each one, there's a I ask the readers questions like, what did I learn? What should I have done differently? And at the end, so they can think about, okay, how would you turn this into a learning lesson? But then... At the end of it, I have a little summaries of what I think I learned on each one. So two of the coolest, three of three cool adventures. I got, I had the honor to do, be the horse manager on some covered wagon train adventures. The first one went across Western Wyoming in the middle of the summer, which was really hard. I, try, I think we had maybe 20 covered wagons pulled by mules. We had some outriders and it was learning it was a hard way in, in firsthand learning of pioneer life and how they survived. It was it was really rugged. And then and there were a lot of things. We had a wagon that overturned in a ditch. We had a broken wagon tongue and the mules bolted. So there were a lot of things that happened to us that would have happened in pioneer life. And then we did another one in New Mexico on the Old Spanish Trail. And that one was really, also in the summer, it was really hot and really hard, but those were amazing ways to learn a different way of life and how hard it was to be a pioneer. 
especially crossing out through the West. And the other one would be I backpacked the Grand Canyon for my 65th birthday <laughs> with my cousin and a bunch of friends. And we were down there for, we backpacked down with 35 pound packs on our back and stayed down for five nights and then had to get back up out of there. And that was truly an accomplishment that I, that I love thinking about. Yes, uh, I've been to the Grand Canyon, but not backpack down or up. <laughs> you have to do a lot of training, believe me. Let's move to your latest book, and I hope I get this right, Crows on Crozer? Cruise on. Cruise, Cruise on Cruiser. Cruise on Cruiser. Yes. This one went in a very different direction, so and I'm did. really intrigued. What was the inspiration for Cruise? It was not, that was also not planned. I had seven, have seven books out and every year I go, I was not planning on writing anymore because I was just going to coast along into retirement and have fun with them doing book signings and, and still speaking in schools around the country, which I'd love to do. But I was at the, I do the Cheyenne rodeo every year because I used to live up that way. And I was there last year and a lady walked up out of the blue and asked me if I would like to write a book about her dog. Well, I'm going to preface this with a little bit of something. My 97-year-old father died in January of last year, 22. And he and I were very close all the way through life, especially because of the horse connection we had from the beginning. And so before he knew his days were numbered, and he asked me to come stay with him for two or three days and nights, which I did. And we had a lot of talks, and he mostly talked and I listened. But he said, your mom and I are so proud. And she was already gone. And he said, we're so proud of the books that you've written. And I want you to keep writing them. And I said, well, I wasn't really planning on writing anymore. And he said, well, write one more for me. And I said, only if it just kind of falls on me from somewhere, because I'm not really planning on doing another one. So out of the blue, six months after he's passed away, this woman walks up and asks me if I'd like to write this book about her dog. And I think I said, probably not. Nicely, not rudely. But she said, would you, would you let me share his story? Because I said, I'm not planning on writing another book. And I usually use my own animals when I do. And she said, can I tell you a story? And I said, sure. And as I listened to it, these bells were going off in my head that, oh my goodness, this would be an amazing book if it's written correctly. So I said, let me think about it. Give me your contact information. And all the way home on the two and a half day drive, it's all I could think about. I was waking at night thinking about the potential that this book had if it written correctly. And that would be having to let the dog tell his own story because he was born blind. He's a blue healer. He was born blind and has an absolutely amazing story of accomplishment and now living with the perfect family. And so the only way that story could work is if he tells the story himself. And that meant I was going to have to write from the perspective of being blind and so, and I was going to have to make it a feel-good book all the way through. I didn't want anything derogatory or negative, and I wanted it to be something that would inspire those who see with their superpowers other than sight, that they can do things just like Cruiser does, and just might do it differently. And that those of us who are blessed with sight to realize exactly that is that, it's a big blessing, and we shouldn't take it for granted. So that's what I was trying to do with this book. It was the hardest thing I've ever written in my life. I, I worked with the Texas School for the Blind and got some, and did some research and talked with them more than once about getting some information. So I made sure I was getting this right. For instance, if somebody says the word blue and they've never seen blue, what do they think? Different things like that. What did it feel like to fly on an airplane the first time if you can't see? If you can't see what's going on, then you're feeling it instead. 
So I had to, I just had to get a lot of information because I wanted it to be, to present it in a positive way, but also to get it right. And so it was very difficult to write. There were a couple of times I stopped and thought, I'm in over my head. Can I, am I really a good enough writer to do this? But then this inner voice would say, you can do this. You got to keep going. And so then I get back on it. And I have to tell you, when I finished the last two words, I was on cloud nine, absolutely on cloud nine. I looked at it. And I was like, I can't believe I did this. And so uh, it's, it's a very, I'm so proud of all my other seven books, but this one just touched me in a way that none of them did. And so when I got it, I always print, my, my books are truly American Texan products, except for my illustrator. The Schweike in, Cal- in San Antonio prints my books for me. And so I had them, we ran a thousand to start. And when I went to pick them up, I said, do you have one out? Because I had seen the proofs, but I had not seen the actual book yet. And they said, yes, we got one out for you. And when I saw it, the tears just rolled down my face, rolled down my face. That was 15 minutes. I was sitting in the parking lot before I could drive home because I was, and I don't know why I did that, except it was pure pride. Absolutely just pure pride to see that it came together the way it did. And my illustrator, oh my gosh, she, she really nailed this book. She saw the story. She's like, I am going overboard with this one. And, and so with all of the artists, a full page on the right, the text is on the left. So that, that, that artist, the artwork really stands out. What are Cruz's superpowers? His superpowers are his other, his other senses, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. He can, we just, I just left having a, doing a thing at the Lano uh, summer reading program and we, we zoomed in with him so he could meet them on the screen. And of course, all the kids just fell in love with him and his eyes are sewn shut but it doesn't look bad at all. He's just cuter than a button. He's just so cute. But she, she had his picked up and had her had him waving at kids and stuff. But he's his superpowers are just that he gets through life. He has no, you know, doesn't bother him at all that he can't see because he doesn't know what it means to see, which is what it would be for a blind person. When I when the book came out, we went to Sacramento and we're on CBS, Good Day Sacramento. Cruiser and his, his parents met me there and we did it because one of the, her only request for this book was that I actually named the four nonprofits that were involved in his success of finding a family and being where he is now. And one of those groups had had us hosted us out to San Sacramento to, uh, to be on TV out there. And then they had a reception that evening. And he was at the reception. They turned him loose. And there were lots of people in there. And he was just walking around, bumping into table legs. And it didn't bother him a bit. He'd just back off and go try a different direction. And it's just when you see something like that, it's, it's very inspiring, if nothing else. So what has been either the response from kids or some of the lessons you hope to impart? Did they kind of line up together? On the book, on the cruiser book? Yes. Uh, I mostly want kids because when they read it, for especially kids mid-elementary, and I've got adults buying this book and telling me they can't quit reading it, which is really cool. But when they read it, it's going to make, it's thought-provoking. It's going to make them think about, hey, if I were blind, I wouldn't have ever seen the moon. I would never have seen the stars. I never would have seen flowers. And it's, but it's written in a very positive way. The way Cruiser says it, you know, as somebody said, he says, one of my biggest challenges was figuring out the difference between day and night because I've never seen the sun and I've never seen the, the moon and the stars. So to me, day, the daytime is the warmth of the sun and the evening is when it cools off and things are quieter. And that's the way. So he had to learn the family's routine 
which the routine is documented on one page. So, and when in the evenings, and this is where I had to be really careful to write in such a way that didn't indicate that he could see. So in the evening, when the family, after they have dinner, they always go to the living room and there's this box that talks and everybody listens to the box while he chews on his bone. And when the box quits talking, then they go to bed. Of course, that's the television. But to him, it's just something that's talking. So with the, and I got a little silly with it. Um, When he went, when I got to the page, because I had to work cowgirl peg into the story somewhere, (laughs) And so when we got to the page for Mama Susie and one, he began calling them Mama Susie and Papa Tom. So when Mama Susie was was at the Cheyenne Rodeo last summer and she met Cowgirl Peg, who writes children's books, and they talked about writing a book about me. And so and then he says, I don't know what a cowboy and a cowgirl is. I've been around girls and I've been around boys. And I've been around cows. So a cowgirl must be a cow girl with a cow head. So my illustrator painted this really cool picture of me with a cow head standing there. And kids, when they see it, they die laughing, which is what I wanted. I wanted some humor in the book. And on the next page, then she explains to him, and there's this beautiful painting of Blue Healer running with a cow. Uh, she writes, or she, Mama Susie explains to him that a cowboy and cowgirl is a person who works cattle on horse and usually on horseback and they would do a lot of ranch chores. And then she explains to him that he's a blue healer and a healer is a dog that helps him work the cattle. So he says, wow, I'm a cattle dog. I need a cowboy hat. So the very last page of the book, when, when it's him taking off to go on a cruise off on another adventure, he's got a little cowboy hat on and on the cover, he's got a little cowboy hat on. So what's next for cowgirl peck? <laughs> I, I don't think I could ever top this book. I don't think so. So I'm going to say, I'm going to get out. We're pushing this book like crazy right now. We've got corporate sponsors interested. My biggest goal right now, they, the royalties on that, oh, sorry, the royalties on this book <laughs> uh, will benefit the four, the four nonprofits in the story. And so that's the first deal that she, that was the only thing she asked for for that book was that they that it does benefit some nonprofit rescue groups. But I've already got three blind schools that have contacted me that heard about it and have gotten it and they're converting it to Braille. The Texas school is converting it to Braille. And so now my biggest my biggest goal is to get, get it out to every blind school in the country. And so we're going to try to do a fundraiser and try to raise the funds to help with that. And also, I will record the book on a CD, which the blind school in Texas has already given me the software for doing that. And that way, kids can check it out at the blind school. They can check it out like they would a book and listen to the story. Uh, We're near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted more information on you, on Kozer or Cowgirl Peg, the series, (laughs) what would be the best place for them to go? Absolutely. My website www.cowgirlpeg.com and it's got everything on there. I do not, I have, they're on Amazon as ebook only. I tend to sell the hardcovers myself because it's just financially more, it's better for me that way, more advantage and advantage for me if I do that. Well, Peggy, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit me with me. It's been a great story and I look thank forward you. to your next adventure. <laughs> thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hill Country Authors Podcast. If you have a book or are an author and like to come on my podcast, 
please let me know. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. The Hill Country Authors Podcast is available on the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. And where all great podcasts are played.